Anyways, this is another episode of All Games Go to Heaven. Yeah, I blanked on the name for a second there. I'm not going to lie. Did you really? <laughs> I really did. <laughs> the fourth episode it's only the fourth episode yeah my brain went to what we were going to call it before and i was just like nope that's not right and then i'm glad you just kept talking but episode four we are talking about xcom hell yeah specifically enemy unknown yeah the 2012 remake yes the 2012 remake and that's an important distinction which we're going to get into in a little bit but for now that's the 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 preface to it and honestly this is the first time as we mentioned in the preamble to this, this is the first time i can say i played a game on the ground floor in year one <laughs> i played it the year it came out i'm awesome i'm I, awesome i already know you enjoyed it year one when it first came out and i'm so proud of you yeah you know for, for yeah. once playing a game uh you know when it's contemporary how did you feel coming back to this what 11 years later well, I mean, I feel how I always do because XCOM's never a game. And I and I don't do this with XCOM 2, which is crazy, um, which is sort of the second piece in this relaunch series of XCOMs. And we'll get into that in a second. But I come back to this game probably every one to two years and I just do like a run. And I just, something about it, nothing scratches the strategy itch like XCOM does to me. So I've, I haven't really fallen out with it over the last 11 years. It's just been like a continuation of how have I changed and, and every playthrough is so different that it never feels like the same game. Hmm. How do you feel? I feel like I've gone through like a gaming renaissance since we started doing this. But then <laughs> like it crescendoed with XCOM a bit. It felt so good coming back to this. So like, along the same vein, every tactical game like this i'm always looking to scratch that itch because i enjoy it so much and everything inevitably gets compared to this like xcom from 2012 is just perfect in my well not perfect but really really darn good like just enjoy it so much so haven't played it for a while and coming back like immediately was like oh yeah oh yeah i remember why i love this game so much and it felt great yeah yeah, but it's crazy because I'm in the same boat where it's just like every strategy game I play lives in the shadow of XCOM. And I've tried so hard to break it. Like I've tried so many games. Even XCOM 2 doesn't really scratch the same itch as XCOM Enemy Unknown. I agree. Uh, I prefer the first mm-hmm. one over the sequel. There's a couple things that I have to admit that the sequel does better and are kind of like a, a BS mechanic in the first one, which was probably just like, an oversight and you know hindsight's 2020 sure. but overall experience and setting and <coughs> what you have available 
especially with the like that oh, the big expansion that came out uh like which yep. changed it from uh enemy unknown to enemy within, enemy within. yeah <sighs> chef's kiss like, what a great game well so that's actually a good place to start because uh I have a lot of comments to make with that. Well, first and foremost, XCOM 2012 Enemy Unknown is a quote-unquote remake, reimagining of the original 1994 game, which you'll talk about in a second, of the original XCOM, which was originally made by Microprose. But the remake was done by Firaxis. And Firaxis is a company that grew out of the bones of Microprose. And specifically, it's famous because it has the Sid Meier's. Famous for our civilization. Exactly. But not just civilization, for everything. Like, uh, So Firaxis had had like a bunch of games from when they became a company in like 96 to 2012. And every single game had Sid Meier's Gettysburg or Sid Meier's uh, Civilization. And XCOM, Enemy, with, Enemy, Enemy Unknown, was the first game that didn't have Sid Meier's in front of it that they released. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like a big deal because it was from Firaxis and, you know, this is the company. We've done great games. We've been winning awards with literally every game we pretty much release. And then, boom, here's one where it didn't take the Sid Meier's thing. And that was a big deal for them at the time. And, you know, and it was originally supposed to be a straight, big budget, big, big, big budget, probably the biggest budget they'd worked on a remake of the original XCOM. But the thing is they started making it and they realized there's so much more they could increase with there's another studio at the time that in uh uh i guess a parallel XCOM game called XCOM the bureau which is a third person shooter that takes place in an alt universe uh of as XCOM enemy unknown but the thing is both studios were talking to each other they weren't exactly coordinating uh, their storylines but they were talking to each other to make sure there wasn't too much overlap or too much of the same nonsense going on from each game to each game yeah, the, the Bureau was originally going to be like a first-person shooter set in sort of like the, I think it was the 40s or the 50s, and just yep. sort of like, you know, the beginnings of investigating the aliens, much more sort of spooky yeah. and creepy, and it ended up just being, it came out, I forget how many years after uh, the XCOM remaster, just because it went through like development hell, uh, ended up just being sort of a semi-generic like person <coughs> cover shooter. It was. Did you play it? A bit, but and same. You know, something that I picked up when it was on the cheap. I definitely didn't play it when it came out. Uh, when it came out, it, that was not a seventy looking, a seventy dollar looking game to me. Well, that's how I felt too. I was trying to find something to scratch the XCOM itch, and then I downloaded it, and I remember playing maybe four hours, and it just wasn't it. Mm -mm. No. It wasn't it. It wasn't it. But. You know, but that just goes to show how well Firaxis did. Again, the cards were sort of stacked in their favor going into the remake, but they did a lot to honor the game itself because they even brought in John Broomhall, which was the composer for Deus Ex. Okay. Uh, and, and they got him to revamp and like remaster and sort of do a new twist on the original soundtrack. So they tried to stay really, really, really close to the original. It's just, again... As soon as they started playing, I guess they made the whole team play the 1994 game and finish it before they even started working on it. And that was sort of one of the prereqs before you could start working on the the 2012. 
And then by the time they were done, they realized what can we polish just a little bit more. And then they polish even more with Enemy Within a year later in 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, so. the bones are still there, and I'm glad that they didn't just go for, like, we're just going to put a nice coat of paint on the original XCOM from, uh, yeah. you know, eight years ago, or, or sorry, uh, 18 years ago. Like the, the perfect, or one of the easy examples of that is you know, movement and actions in the original one. You had a, a meter that was full of, I think the resource was called time, but it was all these like little dots and, you know, you would move and that meter would go down. You, you know, you shoot that meter goes down. So maybe a little more precision based if you want to call that, but I, I <coughs> what they did in the new one where you have, you know, okay, you have the blue grid where it's one of your actions to move the yellow grid where you're sprinting and that's both of your actions. They made it much more legible and, and, which I don't see it as them dumbing down the formula. I think they took something that worked before and improved it. Yeah, I, that sounds actually, I guess, in if I were to retrospect play the game, I think I would be a little disappointed because I love that two tile action sequence so much. To me, that it's it's something that a lot of games get wrong that I keep comparing to XCOM. Like, how do you move in strategy games? Mm-hmm. Consistently gets compared to XCOM. But you actually played the 1994 version. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? UFO defense. Yeah, you, XCOM UFO defense. I mean, it's the same game for all intents and purposes. Uh, you know, pixel art. You still have the same thing of, you know, permadeath with your squad. You're going up against increasingly difficult aliens or more powerful aliens with better technology you're researching your own technology you have to build up your base you have to shoot down enemy ufos like it's all there uh, the the original one you know came out when i was like six or seven i actually have like a limited experience with that and one of the things that always stuck with me is whenever the aliens would take their turn it would go to this screen that had this just sick pixel art of, you know, like a dude with a gun, like kind of looking scared and there's a shadow behind him and like the, the outline of an alien, like coming up behind him while he's trying to, it just looks sweet and it really helps set the mood. Um, you know, definitely visually does not <laughs> hold up, but no, it, it's, it, it's, it hurts now to, to sort of look at that one and play that, but it's still playable. Like if you, enjoy the 2012 one and you want to see what the original was like i'm sure there's a way that you can find it and you can play it like it's great the one that i played more of because there was five sequels to the original yeah uh, yeah i played the second one which was terror from the deep <coughs> where okay you know you've stopped the supposed extraterrestrial threat but now everything is underwater uh you know the, alien, the aliens are yeah so you're you're building underwater bases all your guys are wearing you know the helmets with rebreathers and stuff like that all there's un, underwater bases underwater ships blah 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 supposedly there's another alien force that buried in the bottom of the ocean and after you fend off the first wave this is the next wave so that was the one i played more uh got pretty far i i can't remember like some of the enemies i think there's still some of the ones that we're used to definitely the the original sure. one still has sure. you know mutons and the gray men and the thin men and everything it just for how young i was and how i guess little in retrospect i played it it left such an impression with me 
that it was something that I was always thinking about. When I heard that the remaster was or the remake was coming in 2012, I was so excited. And the the worry was that it wouldn't live up to this image of what I had in my head of this game from when I was a kid. Not only did it live up to it, it exceeded it. Like it blew it out of the water. Yeah. Yeah, because... Well, I mean, but that's the beauty, I guess, when the company remaking it is the same company that released it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, not not same company, but the same found fathers, I guess, of the game. Because it was Sid Meier's, Jeff Briggs, and Brian Reynolds who left Microprose in 96 and went on to start Firaxis. So those three are still there to sort of keep Firaxis on the rails, you know, and not just say, you know, you're on the rails, let's go faster, let's go better, let's fix the rails, let's make everything happen. Because they were winning award after award after award. So it's just about building on all the successes that they had had as a company and plugging them all into one game. Sure, and they definitely have that strategy game experience which i think helped them refine the formula even further into the xcom we got in 2012 yeah because civilizations works on a on a very tile based system which is something they borrowed for that on a micro level i guess versus a macro level yeah sure yeah yeah but honestly good on them and uh myers it's funny one of the crazy facts i found when i was doing research on this he was only the second person ever to be inducted into the Academy of Arts and Interactive Sciences Hall of Fame. The second person. Who was the first? Shigeru Miyamoto. Oh, that makes sense. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah, the yeah. Nintendo. The king. Yeah. The king. Well, I think he's the king because he, he created Mario, Zelda, and so many freaking legendary titles that define my entire existence. <laughs> our, our childhood. Literally. No, my existence, even now, even now, I just, I still play a lot of those games. Uh, yeah, minus the Zelda, yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> no, no. In, in time, we'll talk about we'll that in time. We're talking about it again. Anyways, anyways, another funny thing I found was when the reviews first came out, because, it, you know, when you look at the, I guess, the Metacritic scores or the gamer scores on this game, you know, it's a lot of positive, but it's not overwhelming 9.5s like you see with other games because I guess this was kind of the Elden Ring experience for a lot of gamers. The initial reviews were all, this game might be too hard for the casual gamer. <laughs> like, this is relentless. Uh, but then other people who loved that, that uh, one of the, my favorite quotes was, dying is back in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Reddit comment I've ever heard. But that was for from a uh, yeah, gamer a, critic a in 2012. You know what I mean? But I mean the original. Yeah, the, the original was even more brutal by a wide margin. Like you could not make any mistakes in that first one. It felt like. Well, gaming in general was more brutal because I mean that's something we talked about when we were talking about Star Renegades and sort of the retro gaming. Right? Was mm. it, it pulled its punches a lot less? Sure. Well, you know, three lives and get a game over. It's not like there's checkpoints everywhere yeah. and this or that. I mean, to a certain degree, with XCOM, unless you're doing Iron Man mode, which we'll explain. Talk about that, yeah. You can you can game it, right? You know, you save at the start of a mission or before you even launch it, and then if things don't go well, you reload it. You you'll pretty <coughs> much get a similar loadout if you know if you started if you saved at the start of a mission. So you can kind of you can cheat your way through it. I think 
it sort of takes away the fun of it but um you know I, i'm not gonna pretend like i didn't lose one of my my, <laughs> my top my top soldiers back in the day and couldn't live with it and you know reloaded a save oh yeah i i remember the first time i beat the campaign i save scummed the shit out of it like every <laughs> other tile move was like oh i'm i'm throwing my, one of my precious my precious guys into the unknown fray that's about to be revealed and there might be 10 looming extraterrestrials about to descend on me well no way save load save load i was i was i was bad i was bad during my first run i was very bad i wasn't that. it's just xcom was you know i'm sure a lot of my excess playing time was me just save scumming one level that should have been two hours that took me six <laughs> hours because i save scummed it jeez oh, right, so let, let's set it up let's what yeah. is what is xcom so what does it even stand for extraterrestrial combat or something like that it's anyway. a good thing one of us googled that right <laughs> before we started this episode do it i'm not say doing it. that right now say it before uh, i start xcom uh means uh that it is a um great stall x c o m great stalling. Thing. Or maybe means... it doesn't mean anything. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Okay, it doesn't okay, say anything. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, humans are living peacefully on Earth when one day an overwhelming extraterrestrial force begins attacking and uh, destroying cities, killing people, uh, abducting them for unknown reasons. So the governments of the world all come together to fund this one program that will operate globally called XCOM and you play as the leader of this task force if you want to call it so the game is split in to two sections there's the management where you're building up your base you're taking care well not taking care of but you know recruiting and customizing your shoulder uh, soldiers taking care of the research building equipment uh tracking the movement of, of the aliens and you know trying to build satellites so that you can have awareness of what's going on globally and keep the panic levels down uh, the more countries that you can keep in the XCOM project the more funding that you get and money is very important because you need that to you know research and buy gear etc and build new facilities if they city reaches or a country reaches maximum panic they you know withdraw from the project because they think you're doing a crappy job and they're going to try and spend their resources elsewhere the other half uh maybe you talk about the other half mike you mean the in battle stuff yeah the actual ground on the forgot yeah first off xcom means extraterrestrial combat i was right then and yeah yeah <laughs> and you're the leader of a elite multinational paramilitary organization. Okay. <laughs> That's what XCOM is. Come on, you didn't know that? Idiot. Idiot. I said you were Come the on. commander of this, you know, elite, this global task force. Tomato, this tomato. Elite paramilitary organization. Multinational paramilitary organization. Uh, which I'm one of us had it. to read it and which one of us remembered, huh? Huh? I'm not reading it. I don't have notes in front of me off screen right now. I just look <laughs> to the see right. your eyes darting. I... No! <laughs> eyes anyways anyways so like steve said you have this overview tactical map where you're trying to contain the spread of the alien threat across the globe but the key to containing that threat 
is you launch excursions to a variety of different mission types. One can be a UFO has landed in a country and it's taking prisoners and you send your Harrier jet, your X-Men-esque Harrier jet filled with your squad to, <laughs> it is, that's what I always remembered it as because the X-Men did it. Yeah, it was. Um, and you send it to the mission location. Sometimes it'll be, you have to secure a scientist that's going to help you with your overall agenda. You'll rescue an engineer that'll increase your uh, research powers or your uh, production powers. Sometimes it'll just be aliens are blasting a city and you're sending your guys in to try and defend, save as many civilians as possible. But you go there and you drop your team off, which can be anywhere from four, or I think you start off with three, right? No, three? four, you start with four. Four, four. You start with four and I think you can max out at six. Mm-hmm. Um, your team drops down. You are faced with an uh, area that is now your sort of, I call it a chessboard. When I describe this game to people, I describe it that you have four to six guys and they have anywhere from four to 30 guys in this air, contained area, which is going to be your area of combat. You don't know what's in front of you besides what your line of sight based on your troops advantage or their skill sets are. Mm-hmm. As you move forward in this area, different parts are revealed. And as different parts are revealed, if aliens are there, they will cut to a nice animation and they'll scurry out and they'll take tactical deployment. And then it becomes a bit of a game of chess. Each of your soldiers has, like Steve was saying earlier, in a sense, two moves. So those two moves can either be moved to move as far as you possibly can and use both moves as a, in a distance move to get to cover, uh, to flank an enemy for a next turn, or B, you can move one of your guys up and potentially shoot or potentially do a covering fire, or there's a variety of different actions, each class and type that your team has or character has has access to. And in a sense, you enter this game of chess where both of your squads try to move around each other to kill one another. There's no other there's no other way around. No, no, or capture that, it yeah. depending on yeah, or capture it depending on where you are in the game. And in a sense, some missions will have a goal where you have to escort a scientist out or you have to save as many civilians. But most of the time you're just rushing in and the whole goal is just to kill as many, all of the troops as you can. And if you get overwhelmed, you can rush back to an extraction zone most of the time and get the heck out of there. Yeah, because one of the things that can happen in this game, which isn't sort of common, is the soldiers that you deploy, they can die for real. And once they Forever. die, yeah, once they they die, it's not like you know you go back to base and suddenly they're okay. Like they didn't just get a boo boo. Like they're dead. And when you're just starting out, uh, that can be super painful because yeah. every soldier, like as they, you need those <laughs> early soldiers to level up and increase their ranks so that they can get better skills. Because very quickly the game starts throwing more enemies at you and different types that just get stronger and the technology that they use gets better and you can very quickly get overwhelmed if you're losing too many soldiers in the beginning yeah and you know and and that is sort of the the save scum incentive for me because you know you have everyone starts off as a rookie and you can upgrade them to be a sniper an assault class a medic a grenadier and that's it it for the original yeah that's it for the original a heavy um so so what ends up happening is you could rush into battle. You just lost all your guys and maybe you extracted one of them in one of these missions, and but you lost two medics and now you have no more medics 
or maybe the medics that are back at your base where you can deploy for further missions aren't upgraded the same. They can't carry as many health packs. Their skill, their, their base skill set is not good enough to actually handle the end, the alien threat coming on. So, you know, it does get challenging because if you start losing some of your high ranking people or too many of them in one mission, you go back and then you're suddenly deploying rookies to face off with their elite squads that are just gutting through you like butter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the game is just, there goes your whole playthrough. Yeah. Done. It's done. It's, There's no way you can come back from it. It's mitigated a bit because if you've advanced your technology, like the rookies can use that higher level stuff. It's not like, you know, the best weapons are uh, reserved for only your elite units, but, you know, your elite units have more health. They can aim better. They have way more abilities. And also they are less prone to panic, uh, which is something else that can happen, you know, you have a squad of these four wet behind the the ears people. One of them takes goes down in one blast. All of a sudden, your other troops start panicking, and then you can't control them on your next turn. Like it's just this yeah. runaway train of bad that can happen. Well, and throw in the fact that you have a number of alien class types that can manipulate your soldiers' minds mm -hmm. based on your skill check for will, and a lot of these rookies have very terrible will. So if you throw in a sectoid, which is a weak enemy, they can control most of your guys if they have weak enough will. You can protect them with mind shields and different sort of strategies. But in the end of it all, if, if somebody rushes in and a sectoid controls one of your guys, suddenly now not only do you have one less guy, maybe one of your guys is panicked. Now you're only controlling maybe two or three men and they have an enemy behind enemy lines because the only way you can save that troop that's being mind controlled is by killing the sectoid controlling it or killing your own trooper. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, pick. yeah, you don't have the choice to free them. Like if they're doing damage and you're yeah. near that commander, you got to make that tough call. And it sucks. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. I mean, but so just to legitimize my saves coming even more, uh, my first playthrough, I remember, I think I got 20 hours or like 18, 16 hours into my game. And I got to a point where I didn't realize how ruthless the long-term consequences of you losing people is. You know, you 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 really there really is a scale to how fast the enemies start leveling up. Because it, it starts off gradual and they'll start throwing mutons at you, which are a bit of like their heavy soldiers, and then suddenly you start getting sectopods and you start getting no, not in that game, or yeah, yeah, it's second. Uh, no, I'm shaking one, my yeah. head like, oh my god, like yeah, there's, yeah. There's and there's other. Uh, I forget what the disc is called. Uh, uh, the heavy floaters, the berserkers. Yeah, like it just, it, yeah. Again, very quickly, you're just like, well, Earth is doomed. <laughs> yeah, so I'm over here. I I hadn't invested because another aspect is when you're doing your global strategy. In a sense, you can. The whole, the whole country or the whole world is sectioned off into grids of its own, sort of like as if you were playing a giant game of Risk when you're on the strategy view. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you pick a continent, you start on, you get that continent's bonus. And when you put satellites over every country in that continent, even if it's not your starting continent, you get that continent's bonus. So for example, uh, North America, you have a discount on aircraft. And what that means is though, after you have satellites up over those countries, you have to deploy aircraft to defend those countries. 
And all that means is you get into this little animation, this smaller animation where, in a sense, your jet or your advanced aircraft goes up and it spots an alien aircraft that has been spotted by your satellite. And you have a bit of a, just a, a press shoot button or a, or a get the hell out of there button situation where both of you are just taking turns. You have no control over this. It's just a random gambit of yeah. truly risk, risk type situation where both people are just shooting rockets at each other. And you're pretty much seeing who's going to hit enough and who's going to miss enough and who's more powerful enough to drop the other. If their craft drops, you can send your squad in, you raid that craft. Maybe you'll find some good stuff there. You'll find technologies you can sell on the what's called the gray market, which is another way you can earn money, mm -hmm. uh, which is by selling technologies to other countries or other organizations. Or your aircraft can go down. So on my first on my first playthrough, I lost so many of my advanced guys. I had barely any aircraft monitoring my skies. So I'm losing countries like left and right. I'm down to maybe six countries I own, and I have no no one. No one. And I just remember looking at myself and I said, this game's done. There's no, there was no way for me to come back from it. There was no way. There's no, there was no way. It just got so frustrating that I, I went through a second playthrough and I just safe scummed it to the end. Cause I was like, there's no way I can get back into that trap. But you also probably on that second playthrough, like you would have learned from the first one. I, I bet you, you didn't need to save scum as much. Uh, it just was that, I like, it. I it was that fear. It was all mental. No, because I get cocky. Because I get cocky. Like, say my, say I have a great assault class that rushes into my first skirmish in a map, and it, and and he just owns. You know, every hit's hitting. You're getting all criticals, and everyone's just going down. And I'm like, I'm invincible. And then you turn a corner, thinking I'm just gonna dummy the rest, or maybe the other enemies left in this in the shadows of this combat situation are all going to be light enemies. I'm going to take them down. No, no. Then you turn a corner and you're ambushed by the strongest enemies they could throw at you. <laughs> and, and you just look at your guy and you say, bye. And you just say, bye. You're dead. And you're going to be gone because I was an idiot and I got cocky. And well, and then there's the, every shot you're rolling the dice, right? Which isn't something we've talked about yet. It's not just you shoot and it's a hit. Every shot yeah. has a percentage chance. You know, it's based on, you know, what kind of cover is your guy in? What kind of cover is the enemy in? Is it full cover? Is it half cover? Uh, what's the range? Are they, are you flanking them? Uh, what class are you using? You know, a sniper is going to have better aim than the assault guy that you're talking about. So generally, if you're at like 80% to 95%, because you never see 100 until enemy within came out, generally you have a pretty good feeling that the shot's going to hit, but it's not a guarantee. And uh, there's, I, no. I know you've experienced it where you, you roll up on somebody and it's just like, okay, I, I got a 95% chance. I take this guy out. He can't shoot me. And then the, the soldier that I probably overreached with will be in an okay position. And then you take that 95% shot. And then the alien goes, <laughs> ducks out of the way. And you're just, your hands go up to your face because you can't believe it. It's hard. Yeah, and your guy's dead and your guy's dead. Yeah. But what that, what I learned on my, the most recent playthrough that we did for this is sometimes those 30% shots or the 20, 25% chancers, those could be the miracle shots, man. <laughs> those can be yeah, the, the yeah. miracle, like TSN turning point for a level. Yeah. And I mean, so this is, 
the thing Steve and I did on our last playthroughs building up for this is we both turned on something called Iron Man mode, which means there's one save, you live with your consequences, you can't load a, a previous save state. Yep. So what I, my strategy with this time around, which was going very effectively before I lost my save file, as you, this is a side tangent we don't even need to get into. And it was, uh, uh, but, it was Simon that dared us both to do this for the episode. Yeah, it was Simon. Classic Simon. Simon, who's mentioned in every episode. Had he's to do just, it. Had to do it. He's a legend. He's a legend. But, like, not a good legend. Yeah. Uh, like, one of those legends you want to forget because there's people who tell ghost stories to their children about them or to disgust them from going into the, that street down the road. Anyways, um, we both tried Iron Man, and my, my, my strategy was just slow creep this time. Slow creep. Take, take as much time as you need and take your time to flank your enemies, really play the chess game. So I took an opposite approach, but I think, did you play the Iron Man on Enemy Unknown or Enemy Within? Enemy Within. Okay. So before I explain why my approach was different than yours, let's talk about Enemy Within. So Enemy Unknown comes out, it's out for about a year. Great game. It only has the four classes uh, that Mike mentioned, you know, the Assault Shotgunner, the sniper, the medic, who uses like a rifle, and then the the heavy, which is rocket launchers and just a big old machine gun. Eventually, Firaxis releases this free update called Enemy Within, which added new enemies. It also added uh, mech troops to the humans. So you can basically turn a human soldier into Robocop from here down, and then they get into a huge mech suit. It's awesome. Uh, in my... I, one of my favorite upgrades to that you can also have like a drone an autonomous drone um and then you can genetically modify uh yes yeah your your soldiers both of these are technologies that you have to research and unlock but it expands the options that you can do with your uh with your soldiers but to do these things you need a new resource that they introduced into the game called uh, meld m-e-l-d yeah. And the way that you get meld is it, it shows up on basically every single mission, but there's a timer. It's usually, there's, there'll be two of them. One of them is close to where you're starting, and then the other one's a bit further. So the first one you'll have to get within, say, three turns, otherwise it explodes. And the next one will be five or six. So because I like the mech soldiers so much and the genetically modified soldiers, I was prioritizing meld. <laughs> and holy did I suffer the consequences <laughs> in the beginning of I can imagine first mission two soldiers gone second mission one soldier gone like it, it was not going well uh, and then eventually it calmed down a bit and but this Iron Man was brutal I, I managed I think I did a lot better than I expected to I only lost two countries two countries or one country uh, which I think was Argentina and I lost probably the best rookie I've ever seen first mission that I, I used her it was uh, one of those hostage rescue ones or civilian rescue ones so I went in with two um, what's the top rank colonel yeah yeah I went in I with think so. two colonels a major which is just below the colonel a mech soldier, a support unit, and then this rookie that I just, I wanted to see 
what she, she would become whatever class after this first mission she, okay. her like a rookie with 80 sorry 85 aim i think it was and like 70 will which is crazy i've seen that i've, I've seen that i've seen that never seen that i like i know we both use the the modifier that you can put with enemy within where the rookies have random starting uh attributes yep, yep, instead yep. of uh everyone having the same as a rookie mm -hmm. i'd never seen one that good before like you know there's a term in gaming for when you're getting random stats on a weapon it's called the god roll like this rookie was the god roll <laughs> so i i i guess i've got lucky because i've had the god roll a few times i've seen that i've seen that that was my first time so i go into this mission it's you know rescue civilians so they're scattered all over the map and then there's it's usually 20 of them mm -hmm. all the enemies were chrysalids all of them oh all of oh. them so and this is one of the my nagging points about XCOM. Not that everything was chrysalids. I moved five of my soldiers. Everything was good. I didn't trigger anything. And then I moved my last soldier up. All of a sudden, boom, six chrysalids get activated like that. And because I take it all my turns, then it's their turn. So even if you have in the first, like in this XCOM, you have a Overwatch setup, which is you can use your action to basically make it so somebody's on guard, right? If somebody moves through their line of sight, they're going to take a shot. So it makes it very risky for the enemy to move. But when the enemies first appear, it doesn't trigger Overwatch when they get that yeah. first sort of initial scurry yeah. into cover movement. And then your turn ends and they have a free, they get, you know, free reign on you. So they took out my mech soldier, they took out the rookie, they took out one of my colonels who was a sniper. Oh. Yeah, I lost three three really good units in one turn, and I just had to book it. I, I bailed on all this, the civilians. I couldn't... There's no way I was going to beat it, because once a chrysalid kills your soldier, other than the mech soldier, yeah. they turn into a zombie. And a pretty powerful one. So, the thing that XCOM 2 changed is you can set up those ambushes, so that when you do first discover enemies, and they go to run to cover in that initial, like, oh, you've been spotted thing you can get those shots and i think that is an improvement i i'm gonna i'm 99% sure you still can mm -mm. man i feel like with mine i was setting them up for when they get the initial the, interaction just depending on how good the soldier was so there there's an exception to the rule and it's <clears throat> usually when the enemies get reinforcements so when you have your turn set up everyone's been on overwatch and then the enemy the enemy's turn has to start and you can get okay. those when new guys pop up that's different than when you discover them on your turn weird mm -hmm. i have so many members i can't tell which ones from which game but okay okay fair i do i defer because it's uh I, I I have memories of of doing that, but it could be from XCon too. You know what I mean? Like it could be from XCon too. Because I, I did I promise play... you, this is the way it works. Yeah. Well, and the other thing they also added—that was in Newfoundland, was it? By the way, I don't think so. I know you kept asking me about this Newfoundland mission. I don't remember when I go back to you know do the edit. I'm gonna find that clip of me was there just a boat? getting massacred. There was. There was a dock. Like a harbor and a boat? Yeah. Yeah, that's the... Dude, that's the mission. Ugh. That's the nightmare. That's the nightmare mission. It's the worst. You actually... So you actually have to make it to the end, to the chrysalid hatch. 
and I think you have to plant a bomb and then get the hell out of there. That's the whole mission. And then you just have to evacuate. I have never played that mission without losing half my team. I wish I could go back and do it now. I, it's just that one, that literally the last move with the last guy screwed me over. I feel like I could have beat that if just that last move didn't trigger six chrysalids. No, because you would have gotten deeper and there would have been more chrysalids. I'm telling you, like all the boats past the, the like warehouse where you have to go in, they all have eggs and every turn more eggs are hatching. Could have done it, Mike. I believe in your ability. I, I believe it. in your abilities. Okay. Uh, but enemy within, the other thing that they, I guess why it's called enemy within, the other aspect that they add into it is you now have a group another paramilitary group that's formed of humans trying to screw your military group over, which I think is called Advent. Exalt. Or is that from number two? Exalt, that's yeah. it. Yeah. They're, they're trying so, to... All right, go ahead, you go ahead. Oh, no, go, go, go. I was going to say, they're, they're essentially working for this alien invading force trying to stop XCOM and bring about you know the, this alien rule. Yeah, and I mean, but that throws in a whole other aspect of combat because now it's not just you versus aliens. Now it's you versus other humans. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like, you, you v. humans is a completely different combat structure. They use different weapons. They use different strategies, everything. Well, they use stuff that's similar to your own. Uh, their, their technology yeah. kind of progresses. I don't want to say at, like, quite the same pace as XCOMs. Uh, they're, you know, suspiciously well-funded for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they have a very elaborate final base when you track them down. But uh, so you, you can outpace them on technology a bit, but, you know, it, you'll get laser weapons and then they're coming with laser weapons. You start doing genetic modification yeah. and then they're coming back at you with genetic modification. And probably more than any enemy, the exalt forces ticked me off the most. Like Those were the ones where yeah, I was me just too. like... I was like, yes, I'm taking you out and I'm going to feel good about it. <laughs> and the, I agree. And that also brings in the whole new aspect to, you know, there's the new missions that you have to embark, but there's also the new on the, I guess, base side that you have to manage as well, right? If you want to explain that part. The new base thing. What was What is different from the old base thing? So you have to send out covert operatives. Oh, Every time there's, okay. there's exalt activity, right? So that you can get intelligence to try and find where their base of operations is. Uh, you can guess on it right away, but if you go to a country that doesn't have the exalt base, it causes the panic to rise and you, you piss off that country and risk losing them. So by sending your covert operatives on these missions, which you then have to, like, it leads to an extraction mission where you have to, you know, get intel and also get them out alive while battling Exalt. You eliminate the countries where this base could be. Me, personally, I just keep doing the missions until there's only one country left where it can possibly be. Uh, and then assault the uh, Exalt base, which is like this super freaking... It looks like every evil villain's lair from, you know, every Bond movie ever, but oh, did I enjoy taking them out on this latest playthrough. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I do and that that's pretty much my strategy too because I never wanted to be the guy who just falsely accuses every country and just rolls up and pisses everyone off every time. Yeah. I, I was extra vindictive against this Exalt this time because the first covert operative mission that I I did 
you know, you some time passes, then you get the signal, okay, you got to get the operative out of there. Usually you start on the opposite side of the map of the operative, right? So yeah. I moved all six of my guys up towards the operative. Everything is fine. And then I took the operative's turn last, you know, popped them down off the roof of a building where they started and then started booking it towards my troops. And then, of course, that move triggered three exalt soldiers that were hiding in a building right behind my covert operative. First turn of the exalt troops, take out the covert operative, mission failed. And I was just like, oh, wow. oh I got so wow. mad. I got so mad. And that hurts. And that's the thing with the game is, I guess that's why dying is back in fashion is because it really is your job to die. Like you're not expected to survive until you get badass enough at it. Like you're, you, if you get through this game and you haven't lost anyone, you have either safe scummed your way through it or you really took the easy road. Yeah. I mean, something I mean, can always happen. And there is an easier difficulty, right? Where enemies are doing less damage and you're, it ups yeah. your, your aim. But uh, it definitely does have that in common with Elden Ring where your failures hurt, but you're also going to learn from your failures. Well, and that's what I, that's kind of what, why I was so adamant about making that Elden Ring or that Souls-like comparison because it is, it hurts. It does hurt. The first time I played it, it hurt. It hurt. Mm -hmm. You go, you spend all these hours, at least with Elden Ring or the Souls-like games, especially Elden Ring, there's like a door out to where at least they push you back, but you, you lose something, turn with your tail back, and you can hopefully level your guy up a little bit more. But with them, you're just screwed. You can get to a point where you're just, you've completely screwed yourself over. And, and that, what happened to with you and Exalt, that's happened with me with the aliens so many times. So many times. Just, you go in, or you're going to save a scientist, and you desperately need that scientist. And everything's going great and you've even gone through the first skirmish or two no problem and then your scientist moves and it just triggers the biggest baddest enemies and they just shoot a rocket launcher into the van that blows up two cars that all your guys are hiding behind and everyone's dead <laughs> yeah uh, yeah That's even it. the environment's not your friend sometimes in this game and no, but that's that's the beauty of it yeah and for for all the hours that we've put into this game it's still will surprise me and on this latest run i think you know i might have mentioned it to you offhand one time the craziest enemy force that i've ever experienced uh on um on a shot down ufo mission so you know i shoot down the ufo great i'm gonna go in there take out whoever's remaining try and get some materials or some stuff i can research so i get there you know i take the long way around Okay, I get a couple mutons and a berserker. No problem, I can handle that. And then I go a little bit further, and it's three sectoid commanders. One of them takes control of my top tier, not top tier, but my better, uh, my only mech unit, who was like rank three okay. or four. So now my mech unit's coming after me. And then I move again, and it summons, it spawns two more mutons another berserker, six heavy floaters, a sectopod, and two drones. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, pretty much all at the same it? time. Uh, I sent the assault guy after the sectoid commander 
and I just I like I tried to hide. I would run and retreat or shoot and retreat, like shoot and retreat. Yeah. It's the only somehow I pulled it off and I didn't lose anybody, but that was insane. I just it just kept coming. Yeah, because the only troop you can't really retreat from would be the chrysalids because they have a longer range of movement than you no They're matter pretty what much anybody yeah yeah because i've had to do that many times where i just remember retreating and hoping that some would stay back and only a vanguard would go forward you mm -hmm. know oh and but, there was also the alien version of the mech trooper on that mission too see but that's what's crazy is sometimes on these down ships they all just pool in one area so as soon as you trigger it it's game over oh, yeah, like, it's that's chaos it. And, and you'll be going through an entire map. You know, it's even worse when you have the missions where you know how many guys you have because you know how they sometimes give you the surveillance mm -hmm. going into the mission of how many people you're going to come up against. With those ones, those suck when you know there's something like 24 units, but you've gone so far and maybe you found two to four and you just know <laughs> you're going to turn a corner and stumble into that yeah. and stumble into exactly that. Oh, oh you hope that half of those are going to be sectoids if you're lucky, but it's just not going to happen. I've, I honestly feel like the game took pity on me at one point where I think it was after that chrysalid mission where I just got half my squad wipes. I had to go <laughs> rescue an engineer and every enemy in that mission was a thin man. Oh, that's nothing. Right? That's nothing. So I got that's through nothing. it, but I was just like, I had a, four rookies and two like meh people on that mission i was like i'm for sure not going to rescue this engineer like there's no way and then it was just there's a group of thin men there's a group of thin men and there's it was like it's like what is the game being nice like what was what is this you know <laughs> but it will usually do that on the evacuation missions like if you're rescuing a scientist or an engineer because i've played many of those as well and i always remember having a civilian in tow that i'm trying to rescue when that happens you know it's no, go no i was just gonna say I, I'm, I'm used to it still being a mixed bag i don't remember ever having a mission other than say like the first few where it's just uh, sectoids or just thin men or maybe a mix of both. Like we're talking maybe 15 hours into a run here or 20 hours into a run getting just thin men. Like, like sure. what? Like... But it can happen because it's, I don't think it's pity. I think it's sometimes the combination pre-rolls. Like they know that there's a certain number of missions that have certain amount of conditions attached to them. Mm. And if you get the role of that mission, for example, that engineering mission, and that map, then it'll roll a pure thin man outlook for you. You know, I, I, I remember I remember even after I'd already found sectopods, which are these giant alien mech units that can tower up to three stories and always have the height advantage over your troops. And they, also get free overwatch and have a massive cannon just that comes out of them it does it does so much damage it's such a dangerous unit one of the top three but i remember even after i had triggered this i went on a mission and i think it was a downed ufo and sectopods are in play mutons are in play berserkers are in play um floaters are in play and on that mission all i had was four or five sectoids and only thin men and I was, and I didn't know what golden juice had been given to me, but I was just, I was happy. I was, I took it. I, I ran with it, you know, but it's interesting because listening to you talk about your Iron Man, I gave you a bit of a lowdown of what happened to me on my Iron Man mm -hmm. because I had no problems. I bear, I lost, I think I got in about 16 to 18 hours before I lost my save file, but even 18 hours in, I had only lost two soldiers, nice. but 
I had lost six countries because that's <laughs> because that's the thing you don't that we haven't even talked about yet is that you can strategize a balanced approach but in truth almost everything costs you something mm -hmm. if you're using your credits early on in the game to advance your troops then you won't have enough satellites and you won't have enough satellite nexus or satellite uh yeah, nexus control units yeah. nexuses which allow you to build more satellites and to host more satellites over countries. And therefore more countries will be taken over. If you spend all your money getting aircraft and nexuses and satellites over countries, then the globe will be safe, but maybe your units will be weaker. Maybe you didn't spend enough buying good armor and good guns and stuff like that. And then on top of that, maybe you didn't invest in enough aircraft. You didn't research enough for people to get, boost it up you don't have enough scientists you don't have engineers every decision you make has a consequence somewhere else and that's what i love about it yeah and even just selecting a mission it's very rare that you have just one option right usually yeah. you know so once you've done all your stuff at base you have the option to it's called scan for activity and what this does is pass time so your research takes time uh Engineering projects take time. Building new facilities takes time. So on and so forth. So as the t you 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 pass the time, and either you're going to get a hit of alien activity, and then in that hit, there's usually I think it's three missions, and it'll tell you the panic level of each of these countries and what the rewards are, and you know the estimated difficulty, which usually means how many units and you know what caliber you're going to face. So you can only pick one which means the one that you pick, it, it's probably not going to reduce the panic level. It's just going to keep it where it is. But the other two countries is going to increase by two points. So yeah. I, I I don't think it is... Well, I don't I Maybe I shouldn't say that. It's very difficult to not lose countries. I'm not going to say it's, uh, it's yeah. not possible to have a perfect run. I'm sure it is, and I'm sure somebody's done it. But it's very difficult not to. Yeah, because... I've I've had runs where I lose a lot less countries, but I just remember losing more men early on. Not when your saves coming. <laughs> I know when your saves coming. No, when I saves come, I remember. I think in year one of having this game, after I'd already beaten it, I remember having one save scum run through where I wasn't I wasn't too bad. Like I'd learned so much about the game, but I had become obsessed with trying to get as close to a perfect run. I became too attached to my characters mm -hmm. who hadn't died, so I didn't want to lose any of them. I didn't want to lose any countries. So I had a lot of save states from further back just in case consequences came up. <clears throat> and that was... I, I've come close to a perfect run, but it, it wasn't a perfect run. I still lost some countries. But nevertheless, I think we've done a good job overviewing what I want to know because we're here. Mm -hmm. What does your perfect squad look like? So that it depends before enemy within came out two snipers uh has to you have it's there it's there are whatever you know what? i'm not even going to justify myself two yeah. snipers two assaults one uh, one medic and one heavy but in enemy okay. within especially on this iron man it was like whatever i can get at one point i had one sniper one support and four heavies <laughs> you know but i i kind of liked it it was it was i was very set in my ways because i had a formula that worked for me so this iron man has sort of made me adapt and appreciate the different skill sets more i use 
the the rockets of the heavies way more than I ever used to, even if I just have the one guy and I invest in that side of the skill tree now because I've seen how useful those can really be. But so so now if I'm ideally I would have still two snipers, uh, a mech unit, uh, heavy soldier uh, uh, support and an assault. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And got to customize them all. I don't know how you do it the way that I do it. And I'm, I'm going to ask you because there, there is this whole thing where you can customize your soldiers, uh, you know, color of their armor and appearance. There's a bunch of hairstyles or hats or facial, uh, facial features, or whatever. The first time I played it, I made all of them look as like ridiculous as possible. Like super okay. flamboyant colors and like you know the guile haircut that goes up like this from Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Every yeah. single everyone had the guile haircut and like sunglasses. Oh my god. <laughs> was I wouldn't be able to take that seriously. I'd be like, yeah, alien scum, everyone's got like an eighties vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in a way the whole game has a, a bit of an eighties vibe from in if you not real anyway, whatever. But now I do like a color coded thing. So I don't have to think about who everyone is. So my assault guys are red. My support soldiers are uh, all have white uniforms. The snipers are green, and I still make the heavies just like neon colored. You know, I, I vary them. It's crazy that you say that because that's almost my exact. Because my strategy since day one has been color coding, mm -hmm. and almost exactly the same. Red assault, except I go blue medic. I go white sniper or black snipers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I go neon colors for heavies. <laughs> like exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> and then in mechs, depending on whether it's the hammer mech or the flame mech, I'll either make them some sort of fire-based color or mm -hmm. some earth-toned earth, earth -toned color. I really like the... There's like a white with like battle damage kind of color scheme. Yeah, I thought yeah. it looks sweet. Yeah. I didn't usually have that. I, I would do like, you know, the dark gunmetal gray before. But 100%. I was just sort of like clicking through, and I was like, oh, that that white looks sick. So I, you know, I made the the mech way, and it's such a it's such a big unit compared to the the human ones that it doesn't interfere with the the visual language of the color coding. Like I know it's not like I'm gonna look at the mech and be like, oh, that's my support unit. And it's like, no, no, that's yeah, hundred percent. That's, that's the mech. Still, but like that customization is also what kills you a little bit because. One of the customizable things is you have to give your characters a nickname after a while. And that's what started to kill me was when I started giving them custom unique nicknames, you create a bond with them because you think about it. Like, and, you know, for me, I remember for a little while I was naming them all after Greek, Roman and Egyptian gods. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I really loved my Apollo and then Apollo dies. And then you're like, well, I can't recycle Apollo. And you're like, <laughs> Apollo's just dead forever now. And I'm heartbroken. I'm lamenting because... Ajax will never be like Apollo was, you know? It'll never be the same. <laughs> You'll never be Apollo. Apollo. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks I, and it hurts. I never, I, I let the game do the naming. I never wanted to, as soon as I, as soon as I assign the name, it gets too real. I don't want to do that. I know, that's what I mean, dude. <laughs> a, fr a friend of mine that uh, I was talking with this game about was using like, his brother and his sister-in-law oh <laughs> but you know they'd be kicking ass and he when the game assigned them a random nickname he started calling he was like oh you're like killer queen and you know you this is your nickname like he told them it was like i could never do that man <laughs> yeah that would hurt that would hurt seeing that especially if one of them I, went it, down yeah but some of the names they gave you were just bad that's why i just i just started getting into it because i thought 
what's like a cool tactical thing, you know? What's just like a cool weapon based like war based naming system? And the Greek gods and the gods in general felt very good. Just call, and I and I just call all the guys with snipers goggles. Goggles? <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> name. That's a terrible name. No, I think my god so snipers would be like Apollo, would be Artemis would be anybody uh zeus anybody who throws a projectile from greek mm. gods uh that's who that's would be that i think like anubis uh, you know those would be the names i'd use sometimes is it anubis egyptian i had to go beyond the greek gods i couldn't just go greek okay, gods. Right, right, right. i would go i would go gods heroes and then i would get into roman but then roman felt redundant so then i would get into egyptian and then i tried to get in mesopotamian and then just got weird <laughs> then it just got really weird because then, then you're just like, where's the line? Where's the line here? What am I? Is one vicious? I, you know, I think there was even a playthrough where I started naming them based on the region or the country their the soldier came from. Right. I would name it based off of something from that country or that continent's lore. Because I remember having like a Krishna and a Vishnu at the same time as a Athena and a Hera. Is that where Michel Caramello came from uh, at the start of no. this? <laughs> no, that came from my failed attempt at learning Italian through Duolingo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got as far as I, I knew I was calling myself Michael Sugar. Michael Sugar. I think or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But two so, snipers. Damn, good for you. So then what was your pre-enemy within ideal setup and then post-enemy within? Pre was always one sniper. I never went more than one sniper because I felt that the snipers were useless compared to what I was... No, no, they weren't useless. It's just one was good enough. Give it a squad site and give it the top-down advantage and that person would just sit there on a tower and just anywhere I threw my people, they would just start picking people off. I was two assaults at all times, one sniper, one heavy, and usually two medics. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, because I wanted to make sure no one died. Ugh. So I made sure I was always, or I would make one of my medics um, the class that's better at the tech stuff. You know yeah. how you can either in one side of the skill tree, it's either all medical, or on the other, you can make it that they're really good against mechanical. That came big and handy because then that person would be my throwaway character. My like tech savvy <laughs> medic character would be the person I would throw in. Or because there's a couple missions where you have to catch an alien alive or you have to Later on, even in XCOM 2, you have to hijack their memory core. Mm. And that was always the best person for me because if I put them in trouble, I wasn't so heartbroken that I lost. <laughs> because, well, you got to have a sacrificial don't, layer. Don't, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. Oh, I told them. They knew. They knew. You but they'd always it. be named something like uh, Prometheus or something or Hephaestus. <laughs> so it's like this. That's so on the if, nose. If, yeah, I know. I know. Oh, I know. Or Sisyphus, you know, something yeah, sure, like that. Sure. I'd be like, you're, you're, you know, you're going to die with a name like Sisyphus or Icarus, you know, something like that. <laughs> you're going to fly to the close of the sun. You're going to die. I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry. But for, a, for the then, greater good, you're going to die so that we can fly. Yeah. But, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is when you capture a later on in the game, when you capture a psychic unit, a psychic unit, I guess. Yeah. Um, you, you get the ability of creating your psychic units. And I found that they weren't as useful in enemy unknown, but with enemy within, you know, this is where it got crazy. Because with enemy within, yeah, I usually had one mech unit. I didn't like 
I didn't like using more than one mech unit. So my idea would be one sniper, one mech unit, one uh, little automated tank. So that would become my sacrificial lamb because I would just throw that tank in way ahead of everyone else, throw them way into the line of fire and just let them. And then all my guys would know where everyone is. It was perfect. <laughs> um, and then I would always, always have at least one medic. That's what I say. Sniper, assault, That's mech. one of everything. Yeah, and you're missing and the then, heavy. And I, I didn't always have a heavy uh, in because I would sometimes use my mech as a heavy, right, right. and I would substitute the heavy for having the tank because the tank was such a beautiful sacrificial lamb that I'd rather have people who could peg them off with good aim and draw people out using the, the tank. Uh, but the other thing I, I invested a lot in is I invested more meld points into genetic modifications mm -hmm. because what I would do is one of my favorite mods is my assault unit. Uh, there's one assault unit that one of I think it's called Panther, where its upgrade is after your squad has been discovered, they remain unseen. And I would put the genetic modification of camouflage on them. So I would just make them be invisible and run around the entire squad and get whoever their most powerful unit is, I'd get the drop on them. Mm -hmm. Boom, take them out with perfect critical off enemy within, 100% critical. They die or at least get 50% taken off and now they're completely flanked while I'd also have the genetic mod for all my snipers where they could jump to any height and they had increased sight so it was just beast mode it was just beast mode I throw in my tank as a sacrificial lamb my one assault is going around my sniper is in position sometimes camouflaged as well uh, jumps up to the highest position without any needed support so they can have the best armor on and still be able to jump up um, while or sometimes I put the jetpack on them and they're just floating in the air, sniping everyone. That's what I was going to say. Instead um, of the the, yeah. the the genetic mod, I would put the, it's called the Archangel armor, where they just yeah. they zip up and then they can float there. Like, you just always have advantage. Pop, pop, pop. Yeah. 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 But the tank would go out, everyone would come in, and then it's just about getting all my people into the right windows and just getting it done. Like, sometimes, honestly, later in later game, I didn't even use the mech that much. Yeah, I will say... Once you he, uh, hit the, the technology peak and your squad is leveled up, the difficulty does fall off. It, it does get yeah. to a point where you can just sort of like steamroll everything, you know, and the, the game will never throw something so ridiculous at you where instead of like an entire Thin Man mission, you just get like 12 sectopods coming at you. It's never going to happen. Um, yeah. So there, it does get to a point, and even in my Iron Man mode, I'm right at the end. Uh, you know, before you have to summon the mothership or whatever it is, mm -hmm. or or assault the mothership, where I feel perfectly comfortable going into every mission now. So I'm I'm taking weaker units just for the sake of leveling them up. You know what I mean? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want that combat advantage. You want them to grow still. You don't just want to be using the same five, six people. Yeah, because there's still that outside chance I'll make a really boneheaded move and somebody will die. It's okay, well, I, at least I have a fully ready-to-go replacement. Yeah, and, and honestly, by the time you get to the last mission and you are at that point, it is very satisfying steamrolling in there and just slaughtering everyone because it, it can be very easy if you've upgraded all your tech. Mm -hmm. That last mission could either be insanely difficult or insanely easy. It, it, there's there's no... I, I have not experienced an in-between because if my tech's up, I steamroll everyone. Even the yeah. main boss just... 
Uh, I think XCOM 2 did a better job creating a last conflict situation that was so insane uh, that that was that was the only thing I felt like XCOM 2, that last mission was more satisfying than the last mission XCOM 1. Yeah, because the first one, if you have like mind control protection, like you're fine. Yeah. The last boss <laughs> yeah. can't do anything, pretty much. Uh, the second one, yeah, XCOM 2, the last mission was pretty hard, and I never played the like the actual expansion, War of the Chosen. I heard that makes that game really difficult, but in like in a good way, in a way that we would enjoy. I thought XCOM Two was already difficult. Like I thought I had a tougher time with that one than I did XCOM One. Mm-hmm. So, but only because of certain things. But but well, so this that that brings up, I think, or is a good perfect segue. Why do you like one better than two? And if you want to even explain the premise of two. XCOM 1 I like more because they don't... So, okay. XCOM 2 takes place 20 years after XCOM 1 in technically an alt-reality, where at the end of XCOM 1, if you beat the game, you, you took down you took down Advent. You took down the main alien force, right? You took down the, the invaders. You won. In XCOM 2, they give you the hypothetical situation where the aliens won and they control society now. And they're turning society into these strange hybrid alien humans. And you find out that's kind of been the main purpose of these aliens going from planet to planet, invading different species, trying to find the perfect combination between these psionic overlords that control the whole race of aliens and all these failed attempts at melding them with uh, their, their sort of ultimate consciousness with different species but humans can perfectly bind so that's why humanity has become their main target so you're now playing as a resistance force um really 20 years after XCOM is dead the commander your character your invisible character gets taken captive and the game starts with that person getting released and suddenly now you are built yeah you're, you're rescued and then now you rebuild the resistance not only do you have this XCOM funded military, but now you're just this guerrilla resistance force going into already alien controlled countries and freeing them from that control. Mm-hmm. But one thing, one mechanic I didn't like was the Advent Project. Because it, in a sense, t- took a time clock and put it upside down for the game, where now not only do you have to think about everything we've already talked about in a sense, but now you have to be you have to be moving at a certain rate through countries. Yeah, I think the the purpose of that, like I get why they did that, is what we, you know, we're just talking about how by the end of XCOM 1, there's no real threat anymore, and you can just keep doing your research, keep building things, keep going on missions, and, you know, steamroll everybody there and just get this perfect squad to take on the last mission. It loses any sense of urgency, whereas in XCOM 2 that advent project it keeps that there you can't you know faff about for a lack of a better word so i get it um for, it's not really uh that's not a gripe for me the advent ca- the countdown or the advent project countdown i guess which is the time clock did get bad for me in that it, it just it was a dimension i didn't want to think about because my favorite part of the game is building a squad advancing technology and just taking it at at your own pace. Like, for example, there's another 
uh, mod on Enemy Within, which is called Marathon Mode, which makes the main campaign last way longer. But there's a big negative with XCOM 1, which is similarly to when your technology gets all the way up, you can kind of steamroll things. By the time you control every country, the only real missions left to do are shoot down at UFOs and invade them. Mm -hmm. And that gets pretty friggin' boring. Yeah. That gets bad. That's at a point where I'm like, I need to finish the game now. It's mm -hmm. time to finish the last the last mission. I hear you. What about you? I, I kind of just like the the premise of the first one better. And I like the the technology you get access to. Like there's no mech units in the second one. I just I never felt like your squad got as badass in the second one as they did in the first. And I, I maybe it's the eternal optimist in me. I, I like the idea of this global task force that's come together to, you know, sort of save all of humanity versus you just... You know, like, the second one is essentially, now that I'm thinking about it, it's Star Wars. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the resistance and you're going around, like, you're instead of a, a hidden base, you have... A, like a, a helicarrier from the Marvel movies, you know. Well, you know, you know what it is exactly. It's uh, Battlestar Galactica. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, because after after the Resistance starts fighting back on the planet, do you remember that? After they take over all the initial planets in season one and two, uh, then the Resistance starts fighting back. You're kind of the Resistance fighting back when what's her face goes to get the Arrow of Apollo. And she ends up stuck back on the planet and she links up with the resistance with led by that football player or whatever that that game from it is the the tackle ball yeah, star yeah. or whatever well, well, and then the resistance is fighting back trying to take back units i think starbuck is the name of the character you were trying to think of but yeah Battlestar yeah. galactica lost me after season two that that show went way off the rails i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it. nevertheless we're here to talk about XCOM. but <laughs> uh, no and there's also you know the pace at how they threw enemies at you to it was equally unforgiving but i don't know i just didn't enjoy xcom 2 felt a little more rushed it felt a little more rushed like i couldn't take my time with it as much it felt like i had to be doing things at a certain pace at a certain order where i just get overwhelmed by either the advent project or by the enemies they're throwing at me versus xcom was still overwhelming but i don't know it was it was my kind of overwhelming, and I don't even know why. I don't know how to articulate it. it just, it felt right. I, I think in XCOM 1, I think you almost explained it by accident there. Like, in, okay. in XCOM 1, there's multiple paths to victory, in a sense. Yes. Like, okay, you're... you're in XCOM 2, if you're not researching, it feels like... I'm sure somebody's going to say, oh, you guys are completely off basis here. You know, you can do this or that, <laughs> like whatever. In both of our experiences, it feels like if you're not researching the the perfect thing or you're, you're just going to be outpaced and you can't, you can't survive. Whereas in like the first XCOM, okay. You know, your, your resources starting out, even though it's a global organization are super limited, but there is a few paths you can take. Uh, me personally, the one that I do is I always prioritize armor. So I know I, because you're not going to have to be doing 
an insane amount of damage to suit. You know, your guns that shoot bullets are going to be okay for a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, like after probably the third or fourth mission, you're not going to be one-shotting everything or even two-shotting things, but I'll survive. So I focus on armor. Or if you, you can do the inverse, like you just want to be taking these guys out and not, to, you know, risking getting hit uh, and just, you know, praying to XCOM Jesus that every shot's going to hit, you know, go into weapons. Like, th- there's there's different ways to do it. No, I agree. And I mean, because I, I was the same way. I always focus on armor and squad size as quick as I can. Mm-hmm. Get those two as quick as I can. Those are the priorities. Without those, I'm just wasting my time or I'm, or I'm going to get overwhelmed easily because I've tried the weapons route. And yeah, it's fun to overwhelm people, but you lose a lot of people along the way. It's a good tactic if you want to have a lot of rookies you throw into the fodder because you always get your weapons back. Mm-hmm. It's not like you lose them. So you always get your weapons back, so you can just keep giving them to more rookies. It's just you got to hope that they know what they're doing with them. I think it's more viable with the random rookies, right? Where yeah. if you have the the if you don't have that modifier on an enemy within, and every rookie starts with I think it's like forty will and sixty five aim, that's a huge gamble. And, yeah. and and so you know we we might be you know rose tinted goggles XCOM one a bit. Uh, because of the enemy within update versus when it first came out. I mean, you say that, but then when I look back at my time gameplay, like I think I'm at 350 hours on this game total. There's a drastic difference. (laughs) Yeah, but 180, 190, maybe even 215 of that was just enemy unknown. Well, do you think because we both put so much time into the first one that the second one... We were just burnt out, even though like there was a there was a several year gap. I'm just wondering if maybe we overdid it and didn't give XCOM two the proper shake. The problem with XCOM one, no matter how you do it, whether you're playing enemy within or whether you're playing enemy unknown, is you reach a point, and this is why I stopped doing marathon runs. You reach a point where you just have satellite coverage everywhere, and you get into that loop of just shooting down UFOs. No matter how you play the game. If you're going to win eventually and you're taking your time to get there, you will hit that point. And that point is the burnout point for me. Is I, I will inevitably always get there, you know? And that's the part where I start to lose interest and I just need to finish the game. Sure. So how long is it? I never did a marathon run because to me it felt like it was long enough. Each campaign, I didn't feel like I needed to extend it. So what do you think the uh, marathon run clocks it at? I only finished one. And it was 54 hours. That's not too 54 bad. 54 hours, I think. That's not too bad. No, and it took, that was across like two years I played that. <laughs> 54 hours in two years? I was taking my time. Again, I, was, I, I reached a little bit of a point where, again, the thing that always turns me off of getting deeper into a run is when I start playing too many UFO missions. Cause, and there's a limited number of areas they bring you. There's a limited number of... It's always a forest. Yeah, it's always a forest or it's outside of a city and, and, and those UFO ones start to grow, start to become, eat at me. They eat at me. And that's what I always lose interest in. But then I can come back after a little break and I have no problem playing them again. Yeah, so I, and, you know that's another way I think XCOM to... Actually, no. I was going to say that's the way XCOM 2 improved where you had more variety, but... 
when I'm thinking about my XCOM 2 playthrough, it it honestly feels like every mission was human alien hybrid city. Right? It didn't it didn't feel more varied than the first one. No, you just exactly. You're there's more of that urban landscape, that's all it is. Yeah. That, I, I will, mean, but go ahead. Still it's still more interesting. I'm happy they took me there instead of forests the entire time ago. <laughs> <laughs> well you know in the first one you had forests gas stations supermarkets uh you know the occasional office complex yeah but those comp those office complexes ones and the ones with structures are always my favorite because a rocket launcher can destroy anything mm. you know you blow up a gas station boom you know four or five guys go with it or you blow up a wall and suddenly everyone waiting inside is revealed and now you can see everyone and now they're the ones who have lost the edge advantage of surprise or the element of surprise so do you have a is there is there one class that you think is better than all the rest i mean i i do like sniper i'm not gonna say i don't like sniper i'm not gonna get offended on like i did with the star no, case one because <laughs> it is sniper for me because i just don't know i don't know how i would use two it's two seems redundant it's not there's redundant. so many other things ah uh, i so, don't know so you like you know how you mentioned with the support guy there's you know you can have the skill tree that's way more focused on healing and you can have the other skill yeah. tree that's you know more like a combat support as opposed to a healing support yep so you can have the same sort of thing with the sniper and it's it's i do like a hybrid where i have the sniper that's built up where i can just park him anywhere and with squad side he sees the whole map with and then also with double tap so if he gets a kill he can shoot again if he gets a kill, he shoots again. If he gets like you can just keep shooting as long as you have ammo with double tap. And then I have a second sniper that I can move and shoot. Because one of the caveats with the sniper until you get that perk is if you move, you can't shoot with the sniper rifle. Which is I think the the plasma sniper might be the most powerful weapon in the game other than the the mech gun that's the size of a human being. Yeah. Um so you know depending on what the the map looks like having a guy that can't move and shoot could be super dangerous even with squad site if they're you know around a corner or something like you're not going to get them no but i mean but that's where i guess the mech come in handy because a mech can just punch through a wall and just knock out anybody on the other side you know or they can turn the corner and just flamethrower 10 dudes who are just clustered together. So, I don't know. For me, I, I use the sniper, but I don't know. For me, the most effective, the most kills were always from that assault class I would throw around the other side. Because when you get the plasma shotgun, it's definitely as strong as the plasma rifle. Uh, it's just you have to get way closer for it to be that effective. Sure. Or what is it? The... The rail gun, I think, is stronger than the plasma shotgun. Uh, the rail gun, I think, is the mech thing. It's called the an alloy cannon, which is the, the yeah. But your your assault, your assault can carry that. Yeah, the alloy cannon. Yes, but the yeah. the, the mech yeah. version, the top tier mech soldier weapon, is a rail gun. The top tier weapon for an assault guy. I don't know why I'm doing this with my hands. <laughs> uh, it's called an alloy top. cannon. Yeah, top up here. Um, so let me. I, there's something I wanted to ask you. Oh crap! There's many things I, I would. I I feel like we 
we could go, I could talk XCOM for the next hour or so, but we've probably got about like 10 to 15 more minutes of talking. Yeah, yeah, but I so had, there was a question in. I wanted to ask you, and I started doing that thing with my hands, and all the blood left my brain, and now I can't remember what that question is. There's power. Your hands are like this, you're in charge. <laughs> I'm in charge of the situation right now. Well, you want me to ask you my question? Yeah, go, maybe it'll trigger me. Oh, man, that's annoying. Red or, red or pink armor? No, 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 no. Uh, pink armor. What is your least... <laughs> Besides Exalt, what is your least favorite enemy to go up against? Probably the heavy floaters. I feel yeah, like everything else I can manage pretty well. The Sectopod is a bit of a pain in the arse. Uh, because even like it'll take two shots. Either, you know, one with that crazy chest gun and then fire like 80 freaking missiles. Uh, or, you know two of two of the same thing but it still gets free overwatch on every single buddy that runs past it after its turn is done so normally if an enemy has taken a shot they don't get an overwatch that's it they took their shot they took their turn this freaking thing can shoot at you twice with one of the most powerful weapons in the game and then still gets overwatch multiple times like it's ridiculous but it's true the heavy floaters have a solid amount of health it's it's pretty rare to one shot them unless you get those 100 percent crits and they're just so mobile and they have that thing where they'll appear in front of you and then they use that ability of theirs to just warp to the other side of the map and they're flanking you and if you have that modifier that we both use where if you're flanked it's a guaranteed critical hit that's an insane amount of damage yeah and all of a sudden yeah. your you know your soldier that has four health bars is down to like one or two pips and like they're for yeah. sure gonna die like yeah. someone's gonna come after them yeah so they're they're yeah. brutal oh this is what i wanted to ask you okay so speaking of the <laughs> the the hammer mech did, did you ever so you know how there's the sectopods and then the aliens have their version of the mech soldier sure did you ever punch one of those to death with the the mech punch well does yeah uh, then their entire thing goes like <laughs> and like collapses doesn't it no there's like a there's a unique animation where like your mech soldier grabs their mech soldier like throws them on yeah, the ground yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like huge yeah. it's badass love that yeah. i love that they added yeah, that. i mean I, you know it's crazy because there's a couple different things and i think some of this is bleeding in xcom 2 because in xcom 2 you get the blade mm -hmm. with the assault class but i also remember having to run in with assault class and trying to get the animation where i think i'm going to kill someone and somebody else with a blade or somebody who's stronger than me just blocks me and slaps me out of the freaking way. Because <laughs> that, could, that could happen too. No, but I, I do remember that. I do remember that because that's, there was that unique animation. And there was another one where uh, it, it, they fight someone else. I think it's just in general, anytime the mech unit got the punch and they got that final one, the unit would just blast through the air. Their bodies would go full clear right? half the map like it was crazy so do you crazy. Do, do you keep you know um do you keep on i think it's called like the action cam or something where yeah oh you keep that on i can't stand that oh yeah oh yeah so basically anytime you take a move or take a shot it'll go to this like cinematic camera you know it's like over the behind the shoulder close up all of a sudden and it's jiggling with the the character right like I, it takes me out of it i find it so jarring you but you know why I put it on? Because when I first played XCOM, my computer was so bad I couldn't keep it on. And now that I have a computer that can play it and it looks good, 
I, I just I want to revel in the things I missed. Oh, you know? Sure, sure. I just don't want to. It's just I don't want to throw up when I'm playing XCOM. So I turn it off. No, I get it, but it's 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 the equivalent of me, you know. Even when there's games I'm playing now on this computer, where I have to lower the graphics and I have to like turn down the animation, and I know what I'm missing out on. Like I'll, I'll see your playthrough on on Star Renegades, and I'm and I'm envious. I'm not envious. I just I know what I'm missing, you know. And then I know there's games I played on this now. Or if I play down the road, I'm just I'm just gonna be like, no, I'm watching every animation. I don't care how dumb it is. I don't know how much it slows me down. I because I can because I can now, you know. Or when I play a, a a next gen game on, I remember playing Dragon Age Inquisition on Xbox 360 still because it was one of the last games that was released for 360, and it looked it was it just played it played fine, but it looks like crap. And then I got it again on sale on PS4. And my God, I put in some serious, serious time into that game because the graphics were just so good that they pulled me in right away and I was just enamored. I was like, I, I don't even care what the deficits are in this game. The it's graphics so are many so deficits. good, I'm interested. I don't know how you got through that twice. Matter. Yeah, you know, well, the first time I kind of rushed it and I, and, I, and I didn't do the due diligence. I enjoyed it the second time a lot more. You know, similarly... That's kind of why I'm trying to get into the habit of when I play a game now, I play it right. And I, I'm not afraid to look up questions I have. For example, I'm playing Elden Ring right now, and I'm taking my time. You know, I'm OP for so many parts where you and Simon are watching me, and you guys are like, oh, man, this battle took me 40 hours, and then like two tries in, and I'm just kind of like, that was pretty easy. <laughs> like, Screw you, man. Screw you. Like Simon got me so hyped about this castle to the south that I got to, and he's like, "There's a oh, you didn't get to that sub enemy yet, eh? So just get ready. And, uh, I bet you're not OP for that." I get there, and the guy didn't get one hit on me. I killed him in six in six hits, and he didn't even get to swing his sword once. You're so over leveled. You're so over leveled. It's ridiculous, but good for you, man. Play it how you yeah, enjoy what you it. Get. That's the beauty of yeah, it. Yeah, I'm grinding. It's it's what happens when you grind. But at the same time, it's like when I play Pokemon. It's I know I'm spending way too much time in those intro areas. But when I catch a Pokemon, I need to grind that Pokemon until it's on par or just below what my other Pokemon are. Because I need to. Because my team needs to roll up with all level 20s. You know, and if I just caught a level 8 Squirtle, I'm not going anywhere until that's a level 20 Blastoise. Oh, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna grind, grind, grind. I, I I hit a wall with grinding in any game. I, just, I get to a point where I'm just like, I just gotta freaking I gotta progress or I'm gonna lose interest. But tell me tell me yeah. your I get your least favorite enemy real quick. Well, there's most annoying, which most annoying enemy just because it's just such a it's just so tedious when you're in the middle of it. Are in enemy within they introduce the stealth units, the octopus that octopi that disappear yeah. and then come up behind you and strangle you and you'll be in the middle of it you you see them disappear and then you face another 10 units and they haven't reappeared for four turns so you just kind of lose interest and they're not strong you know most of your guys early on can take them down pretty easily but they show up and they get your sniper and nobody's by your sniper at all <laughs> and and your sniper is now out of out of action and you're just stuck there and it's annoying um beyond that the the disc, the disc guys, I didn't like the disc creature things mm, because I forget their names. they just had yeah because it's their equivalent of like it's it's like a sectopod in that it's a tank, but it's a way more effective tank. When that thing hits you, 
that thing hits you. And no matter what it power it's using on you, it gets you. And I'm pretty sure it has a general area of attack where the sectopod has to walk up to your troops, scans an area, and then shoots a giant uh, shotgun blast area thing. I'm pretty sure that disc thing is the one that has an area of effect attack from a distance that can fuck you up. I only remember it doing like the double cannon blast to me because I always, I also take them out very quick because I don't want to risk. Yeah, you don't want to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in XCOM 2, they get into gatekeepers, which are the 2.0 of those, in my opinion. I don't even remember. I'm trying to think. I don't even remember. The orbs? I don't remember. Remember the orbs? It it left such a. It didn't leave an impression on me like XCOM 1 did, which. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember the snake soldiers, those guys were cool, but in a way, it's like the octopus soldiers, because the, their thing is, you know, entangling you, but they can also shoot, because they, they have arms, and they can, yeah. you know, they, yeah. have, uh, they can use guns. So, yeah. yeah, there's not a lot I remember from XCOM 2, it didn't make nearly the impression on me that XCOM 1 did, and I'm curious, in only the way that you can, Mike, if you could, you know... Not summarize, but what is it that you think that made XCOM 1, like, what's the special sauce? It is the ultimate game of chess. It's risk meets chess with beautiful guns, explosions, and graphics. And it's two classic styles of gameplay that everybody who is into games, if you're into video games, you probably like risk and you probably like chess, or at some point in your life, you got into one of those two. And XCOM is like, imagine if all your chess pieces had guns <laughs> and rocket launchers and jetpacks and other things like that, and grid and grenades and bombs and awesome stuff. And imagine if your risk game, you could not just set up all these cannons and huge armies, but you could deploy advanced spacecraft into the air and you could strategize over which countries you do want to save and where and who you want to defend because you're getting all these extra rewards just like risk just like risk in that global strategy aspect but to me that's what it always was it combined what i love about risk and what i love about chess into one game i don't think i could say i don't think i could say it any better than that man really (laughs) which is why i wanted you to do it yeah like (laughs) <laughs> yeah like, what, what else am i gonna say like it's it's no strategy game has come close to it in my opinion i mean i, I if i think if it was just one thing or the other it would be forgettable because we get yeah you get bored of it um as good as it is the the base building and how you're managing your resources and the alien activity has enough variety that okay, it's not going to be like, you know, star renegades level of depth in how you approach things, but you have options and that keeps it interesting. And the fact that the layout of the underground is randomized each time means you have to approach it differently each time. So that's always interesting. I, I like, you know, going after the technologies and, you know, making sure everything, you know, in its right place sort of thing. That's its own fun. And it's, it almost, in a way, I feel like that inspired uh, Fallout Shelter to a certain degree. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, just as you feel like you're getting bored with that, 
it's, oh, it's mission time. You know, you've, you've progressed and yeah. you go on these missions. Yeah. So it's just, it's this great flow that is so easy for the hours to disappear into. I, I never feel like I'm doing the yeah. same thing for too long. And they just executed both aspects of their game so well that it's like, yeah, good luck. I, you know, yeah, I don't think game. I've ever been able to sit down for less than two hours with that game. Less, I think it's the, the shortest session I've ever been able to have with an XCOM game, just because you melt into it, like you said, you disappear into it. Yeah, you know, the, I like want to do the the last mission at some, tonight, but it's like ah, you know, I I could <laughs> that'll only be like half an hour. That's not enough. I'll have like you know XCOM blue balls. You know, I, I want to be able to sit down for a longer session so I can, you know, do some more stuff. Maybe get my my psychic soldiers a little more beefed up before I take on that last mission. Well, yeah, and you know, and you know the what Firaxis hopes will say is that well, that's why XCOM Two is there because you can just jump into it. But the problem is, I think XCOM Two loses the risk game. You get to keep the chess, hmm. but the risk game isn't there anymore. It's way more linear. Because the base is mobile, yeah, you're you're pretty much just going to wherever the advent program is at its worst. Yeah, and you can only and you can only move, and you're incentivized by where a satellite. You're you're kind of always being led. Mm. You don't get the choice of making a really dumb move, like only protecting Africa and losing all of Europe. You know, which I didn't do. You know, on my last run, I didn't sure, do that, sure, but sure, I did. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, I know. Africa gives you the best, you know, monetary bonus, so. I agree. I, you know, I, I don't blame you for that choice. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta be able to keep your foot in everywhere. And the and the thing is, you know, and it's sad because they also released a game called Chimera Squad, which is just the chess. It's like a game that's just the chess. And I have more impressionable memories and core memories from Chimera Squad than I do from XCOM Two, and that tells me something. You don't think that's just because it was more recent? I think it was more unique. I think they built on the inner chess match aspect in a totally unique way because they take the timeline aspect from Star Renegades and they meld it with now you get to play as some of the aliens because now the story of that one is that, you know, the aliens have fallen and now aliens and humans have to live in cohesion with one another on Earth. And now what does a police force look like that's part alien, part human? Yeah, I guess the part that we somewhat skipped over you sort of touched on it when you were talking about the XCOM 2 story is all the aliens that you're killing are all subjugated they're not yeah. they're not trying to kill humans by choice they're all essentially slaves of this you know psychic dominant race uh, which you know they said they're like you said they're searching yeah. for the most compatible physical form which ends up being humans but once you beat them there's still aliens here and they integrate into society and then Chimera yeah Squad. But I guess the whole point in the the raw root of the 1994 game and what 2012 kept alive was that you do feel like you are repelling an alien invasion and that's all that matters. There's not all this intense, deeper backstory where in XCOM Enemy Unknown, yeah, you learn a little bit about what's up with this alien race, who are they, and what are they trying to do with humans. In XCOM 2, I mean, it's just 2.0 and maybe too much story for what it's trying to be maybe maybe and i think so i don't know if you've heard of uh xenonauts uh the sequel i have heard of xenonauts. xenonauts is the purer original 
XCOM experience modernized. Uh, you know, so if you're looking to scratch that itch, there is an option there. I don't know if it's good or not, but it looks pretty good. I have it on my wish list uh, on Steam. I probably won't be buying it anytime soon, but hey, it's there. <laughs> well, considering I'm over here complaining that XCOM 2 is chugging along on my computer, I don't think I'm jumping into a modern Xenonauts game and hoping it works. It looks worse. It has, it has, it's like more of an indie okay. studio, so the, it doesn't look okay. as good. Maybe that'll run perfectly right. on your computer. I have a chance, a very small <laughs> chance. No, but honestly, but you know, now let's, let's get to that point. Why do you, is this game in, you know, why are we doing this as our first time? Ten, like why, in your opinion, do we love this this much beyond just my explanation of why I love it? Why is this held true to you? It can't just be because it was risk and chess. What has it left in you? What has it left in me? Like, what is the impression it's left in you? Like, what is that fond memory? Why is it a core memory for you? A core game? It's going to be a little bit of a rehash on Star Renegades. There's something about just a plan going well. And <laughs> when, it, when it, I don't know, it, I don't know about you, but I, I like feeling like, you know, I know what I'm doing and I'm not a, and I'm not a dumb, dumb, <laughs> even, though I can't, <laughs> even though for, you know, in most parts, uh, or a large part I am, but it's just the, you know, I, you know, I love sci-fi, um, the the system that they set up in for the battles at least it works so well i i cannot stress enough how good of a job that they did in in relaying some pretty complex information in a way that you can understand it essentially instantly like you know once you've gone through the tutorial and you know what those things are you look at it and you go okay it doesn't take long and yeah. it's really satisfying to use i i always yeah. enjoy it uh and and that just again adds into being able to do the the planning and executing and when it works it feels great and oh, excuse me even when it doesn't work and and people are going down for something with such a bare bones story it does a really really good job of getting you invested in you know goggles and apollo and you know <laughs> and these people like you care about if they're gonna make it back and yeah as a result you know i never want to you know give up on the earth i want to keep pushing and every time you're pushing you're taking that risk you know up to that tipping point where it becomes easy of these people not coming back and you just i i always it, it draws me in of like okay i gotta keep going but i i gotta do everything i can to make sure that you know they're gonna make it home well, and I, it is, you could do kind of create, if you can keep them alive, you do kind of create your own X-Men. Like, I guess I, I'm just going to bring that back again, just because it is, you do create your own combat team. Like, you do become close to them. I care more about them than I do the Earth at some point. <laughs> well, and I think, <laughs> I think as a result, you're making, like, you're filling in the narrative, at least for the soldiers on your own. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and as a result, getting even more attached. Yeah, and then throw in the fact that it's not just, like you said, that chess match combat mechanics are so smooth, but the strategy elements are so smooth, the, the base building aspects are so smooth, the research, how you get it, research, uh, you know, you only get to research things as you kill the enemies and you dissect their dead bodies, you capture them, 
and you study them and stuff like that. Every aspect of this has been made in a way that games since 2012 that are in this field have all learned and taken something from them. Mm-hmm. You know, that is truly a game that is worth remembering. I agree. I agree. Is that the note? <laughs> what, what do I say to that? I mean, you always have these like nice sentiments. I don't, I don't want to add to that. It's just like, yeah, that's great. All right. See you later. Like, yeah, here I go. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, nice sentiment. The dog shit. This was a, <laughs> no. So a uh, little, okay. Thank you for talking about XCOM, but I have a very exciting announcement for next episode. Oh, very shit. exciting announcement. Oh, I'm going to announce it now because before we go today, I, I need, I need the people. The twelve people that watch this to know. Oh, we have twelve. We are, I thought we were at eight. <laughs> I, I seven, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We probably lost some in the last episode talking about the collapse of one. Um, but uh, we are officially starting two episodes now that are games that one of us love and the other hate, or in my case, might hate because I don't actually hate any games. But we're going to see if we can get a game that I hate. Um, and next week we are doing a game I love, the people love, that all of you love. That everyone loves, but Steve doesn't. And that's Zelda 64, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. And Steve hates it. And it's going to be a pleasure talking about it. Uh, and he has to play the whole thing. I'm not playing the whole thing. I'm telling you, you right now. It. I'm not playing the whole thing. You have to play. You I'm have not going to play the whole I'm going to play it. Not, there's going to be a point where I've just had enough. And I'm well, not. you need to get to Adult Link at least. And you need to get to a certain point, And then I'll allow it. Adult Link. You is cannot like, just. Adult Link's like a few hours. That's easy. This, it's not my first time playing the game. It's not like I've never played it and I'm, I'm some sort of psychopath here. I've played it, like, I think three times. You don't, we're not denying you're not a psychopath, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not how the logic works here. Nevertheless, I'm excited. It's going to be great. But for this week, this has been an, the latest and amazing episode of All Games Go to Heaven. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks to Aaron Rastovic for the sweet beats. Fantastic. Great game. That was a great game. One of the greats.